Welcome to episode 180 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, joined, of course, by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am well. I am well. I'm very excited to talk about the potential of these theatrical MCU films. I am very very. Ugh, I can't talk. I am very excited as well Ooh. to be talking about the 2021 slate for Marvel Studios. And we're not really breaking down movie by movie. We've done a lot of that yes. with uh, with these films, and nothing really changed as far as what we learned about them with Disney Investor Day. All of their release dates are the same as they were going into that event. But we didn't see any announcements when we're talking about premiere access on Disney Plus or any of that. So we will talk about. Uh, we will talk about that during that show, during this episode, and we are also going to talk about Spider-Man 3. We will take this opportunity as we're talking about the 2021 film slate to run through a lot of the Spider-Man news that we have not yet discussed on the podcast. But before we get to that, just a reminder uh, to make sure you're following us in the places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you are rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. And then checking out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, for exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else. So what we want to talk about with this one, starting with the 2021 slate, let's go ahead and let's start with Black Widow, because I feel like this is kind of the, I don't know, this is more of the... The one that I, I think is the first domino that everybody's kind of waiting to fall when it comes yes. to Premiere Access. We didn't learn anything additional about Black Widow. The release date is still May 7th, and Kevin Feige talked about it. Uh, Kareem Daniel, who's running kind of the the media distribution section of Disney now, which is kind of separate from creative enterprises like Marvel Studios, talked about exclusive theatrical releases still being a thing for Disney so we didn't really see much change as it as it comes as it pertains to Black Widow. And release dates are still the same as they were for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, as well as Eternals. So not really a lot of additional information. But this idea of because I think going into the Disney Investor Day, there was a lot of speculation, including from me and elsewhere, that is this gonna be the time where Disney announces day and date digital releases for movies because a week prior to the Disney Investor Day, we saw AT&T and Warner Media announce something like that for HBO Max, where their entire 2021 slate is going to be available simultaneously in theaters on the same and on the same day, it's going to be on HBO Max uh, for no additional charge, by the way, for HBO Max. So there was a lot of thought that maybe Disney was going to do something similar. And that wasn't just based on HBO Max. It was about Disney CEO Bob Chapek and others saying in the months leading up to the Investor Day presentation that they were going to talk about how they were accelerating their direct-to-consumer plans. And a lot of people thought that maybe part of that acceleration would be short uh, shortening or eliminating the exclusive theatrical window. Well, that hasn't happened for Marvel Studios movies yet. The Investor Day presentation came and went without any mention that Marvel Studios movies were going to be day and date, uh, digital and theaters. Right now, as of this recording, Marvel Studios movies are slated to be exclusive to theaters. I just don't know, Paul, if I expect that to hold up. We have you are like the master of the business and the strategy, and that is definitely your strength and and you know way over mine. And but I'm always fascinated by the future, and you've always given me great insight to you know and the audience obviously you know, who are listening to this that what is going to happen. And 
I, I, I constantly think about this and I talk about in other shows uh, about this. I talked to my wife a lot about it because we love the theatrical experience. And I was kind of telling her about the ideas of what the rumors are about, you know, the future of cinema in general. And, you know, with black in particular going to black widow, it's it's one of those things where with the announcement of Wonder Woman 84 and the, the whole like going the same day as digital, there's again, talking to friends yesterday, talking to my wife, you know, there's a, a big group of us out there that still love to watch these things in theaters. There's also a big group of these of people out there that have a hard time going to theaters for a number of different reasons, you know, families and, you know, it's expensive to take these people, you know, kids and, and everyone to the theater, especially for when you can, you know, you can get it. You can get it now can you have the option to watch it, you know, everyone there for $30, you know, or, or whatever. Um, it, it's just, it really is a kind of a, an interesting idea of where exactly they're going because you have two extremes now that are the examples. You have the Mulan $30 premium thing, and then you have now with HBO Max where all our movies are going same day as digital for 30 days, you know, on the app, whatever. And 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 so, again, for me, I, and I've told this to my friends yesterday, I told to my wife, and I think maybe you've talked about it on the show. I don't remember it off the top of my head, Sean, but it's very telling to me that they pushed it out again and giving themselves more time. And I know you have a lot of reasons why for this and, and mm -hmm. you'll, you'll, you'll definitely school me and, and exactly break it down to why they did this and everything. But my first instinct was anyway, that they are, they are dedicated to theaters. And I think that, I think if anything, regardless of what happens with this, um, with this movie, whether it be same day as digital or whatever, it's telling the theaters and telling the people of theaters that Disney as a company still believe in that model. And that to me is always going to be the, the more the, 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 the idea of what they're going for or what they're trying to get across to everyone is that this is something that we're still dedicated to and that we're, we're trying our best to make it happen. And so with that, and again, I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but th again, there is something going to be, you have to do something with this movie at some point. And mm -hmm. it's, and that to me is what it's, we're, we're getting closer and closer to that time frame, And that to me is where I'm like, I just, it, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't, cause I don't know if like for me, I'll definitely pay, I'd pay more money on Disney plus to watch it, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure about other people, you know, uh, how much, what exactly is going on again? The, where, where is the world? And more importantly, where is the United States? I think I say specifically, um, for this, where, you know, where we're at in the pandemic are, or is the vaccine out by that point where, you know, a lot, there's at least a number of people feel comfortable. I mean, now everyone's going to feel comfortable, like you said, Sean, but how many people feel comfortable? And then what do you do in that, in that idea of, well, we need to maximize our, our money. Do we do same day digital or, you know, what, what do we do? It's, it's a very fascinating thing because the, again, I we're, thank God. And I'm just going to say it right now, we're getting closer. I'm not saying the pandemic's going to end tomorrow or next week or next month. But we're getting closer and closer to ending this this thing, hopefully. And it, it looks we can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And and I think that Disney sees that too, with Black Widow as the first you know kind of thing. It, it who knows? But still, it, we just don't know what's going to happen and where people are going to be at. But we do see an end. And what exactly does that mean? And so. These next six months are going to be critical for, I think, the theaters in general 
and seeing where in not just for this next six months, but after these six months, like what does that mean for it going forward in the future and everything? I mean, there's so many different ideas. And again, we've talked a little bit about it, but to me, moving it out to, to May or whatever is a, a smart idea. I think it gives us plenty of time to figure out where the vaccine is, how many people have gotten the vaccine, because they can easily adjust their plans in six months. I mean, very, very easily and either drop it on Disney Plus or they could, you know, maybe push out one more month. I don't know. Who knows at this point? But to me, this is like it's it's very it's whatever happens to Black Widow is going to, I think, end up happening to potentially the rest of the Marvel cinematic films, potentially. I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of where it feels like at this point, Sean. Yeah, I think that's part of the difficulty in this decision for Disney and for Marvel Studios is that once you let this out, you, in theory, never get it back. Once you have this idea that even Marvel movies are day and date digital and not exclusive to theaters, there's no sort of window that if you do that with Black Widow and you set that precedent, then that's going to be what the audience expects and wants going forward. And you just can't get that back. I don't know if that's 100% true or not, uh, but certainly it's a valid concern. But I think before getting into, before fully breaking down what I think is Disney's thinking on this, and, and I appreciate the praise, Paul, I just take my best guess at this stuff and try to read the tea leaves as best I can. I'm far from an expert in, in any of this stuff. I'm not a studio exec. But uh, not that all of them are experts either, by the way. But anyway, um, I I think that with this one, like, why didn't Disney just do what HBO Max did or AT&T is doing with HBO Max? What's the difference? Well, the biggest difference is Disney is not as desperate for subscribers as HBO Max is. Disney Plus, the launch of Disney Plus has been extraordinary. It's been historic in the way that it's performed as of December 2nd. 86.8 million subscribers. So on the cusp of 90 million subscribers, which was their initial five, the, that was the high end of their initial five-year projection for Disney plus subscribers. It was 60 to 90 million by 2024. Here they are in 2020, uh, just 13 within 13 months of the launch of Disney plus already at 86.8 million subscribers. So they were not desperate in the way that HBO max is where Warner can't even get everybody. They have not even been able to get everybody who already technically has HBO Max because of their HBO subscription through their cable company or HBO Now or HBO Go, although I know those are going away or have gone away. They haven't even been able to get all existing HBO subscribers to just activate their HBO Max subscription. And those people aren't even giving HBO any additional money. They're just accessing the HBO Max content. And so we're talking about really true new subscribers um, who are adding extra money every month to AT&T and Warner Media and HBO Max. They've struggled with that. And what they don't have compared to Disney Plus is look at what they already have for Disney Plus. Look at all the Marvel series that we've been talking about that are landing in 2021. So when we're looking at Black Widow coming out in May of next year, well, between now and May 7th, we're going to have, there will be 12 Fridays in which there's a brand new episode of a Marvel Studios series, and that's WandaVision for six weeks and then the Falcon and the Winter Soldier in six weeks. What's also going to show up in May of 2021, regardless of what happens with Black Widow, Loki is going to have a six-week run on Disney+. And then What If, probably sometime in July. And then as you get towards the fall, you're going to get Miss Marvel, and deeper into the fall, you're going to get Hawkeye. So Disney has a lot of options now that I mean, and it took Disney a while to get it because initially for their big flagship original series, 
the main thing they had was Mandalorian, and then it was kind of a struggle getting to from Mandalorian season one to Mandalorian season two. All that's gone in 2021. They start with WandaVision on January 15th, and they're just rolling from there. So between the subscriber numbers they already have, as well as the original content that they have ready to go in 2021, they don't have this need to put their 2021 slate on Disney Plus as an exclusive thing or uh, for no additional money or any of the things that we're seeing Warner do with HBO Max. I think Warner and and AT&T, despite all the critics, I think they're doing the right thing for them, but that doesn't make it the right strategy for Disney because Disney is in a different position with Disney Plus. That said, does that mean that they will continue to hold out forever for theaters to recover? No, I don't believe that's true. And we're already seeing Premier Access evolve. So when they did it with Mulan a few months ago, it was Premier Access or theaters, depending on the market. If it was a market that had or was going to have Disney+, Plus, then Mulan did not play in any theaters. It was just Premier Access on Disney+. Plus. And then if, they, if it was a market that did not have and wasn't going to have Disney+, Plus, that's when it went to theaters. It was an either-or proposition. We've seen that change now based on the next Premier Access offering, and there is going to be a next one. It's the animated film Raya and the Last Dragon in March. It is going to be $29.99, just like Mulan was for Premier Access on Disney+, Plus, but now it's also going to play at the same time in theaters. So consumers get a choice, $30 on Disney+, Plus, or however much it would cost you to take the whole family to the theater, if you're comfortable doing that and theaters are open in March of 2021. And so... I think the other part of this with Disney, as far as why this didn't just extend to Black Widow and why they're not saying this is what we're doing all the time now, have to go back to another thing that Bob Chapek and others have been saying at Disney, not just about accelerating direct-to-consumer plans, but another thing they've consistently said is they are not going to adopt a one-size-fits-all strategy for releasing their films. It's going to be based on the market conditions at the time. And so that's what's going to happen with the separation that Disney has now of the media, the media distribution segment of the company, and then the creative part of the company is that media and distribution arm led by Kareem Daniel. They're going to decide on a case by case basis what's the best way for us to commercialize or monetize this piece of content. And in the case of a movie, they don't feel like they have this need that they have to make a decision on Black Widow right now. They don't have to do that. So right now it's exclusive to theaters. But as we get closer and closer to May 7th, and they're going to be evaluating the situation. What are the market conditions? How quickly is the vaccine rollout happening? And are we seeing that impact consumer behavior? And are we seeing that impact what's even open right now? Because theaters are still closed where I'm at here in LA. They've been closed since, what, March? I mean, they have not been open at all Um, And theaters in a lot of markets where they were open in the U.S. have closed back down. So the first step is getting theaters open. The second step is getting people to go back. But as I've consistently said since March is that this is a traumatic world event uh, with this pandemic. And I don't know that everything just immediately snaps back to what it was. And movie going might be something that some people decide they can live without for a while or if nothing else the bar gets higher as far as what it takes for them to go to a movie versus just watching something at home. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. But just to get back to this idea of Premiere Access, as Disney gets closer to the current release date of Black Widow on May 7th, 
they may ultimately decide that, look, our, we have two options here. May 7th, all by itself. I, I don't think May 7th, all by itself, is a good release date for an exclusive theatrical run. I just don't see how the situation is going to be different enough. It doesn't look like the vaccine roll enough uh, rollout is going to move quickly enough for May 7th to be a viable release date for a blockbuster the size of Black Widow. I just don't think that is going to be the case, uh, at least as an exclusive theatrical offering. I think if Black Widow stays on May 7th, then it will be like Raya and the Last Dragon. It will be available in theaters or premiere access on Disney Plus for $29.99. That's what I expect to happen for Black Widow. At least that's option one. Option two is another delay. And there is room here for Disney to delay the movie again. They could move Black Widow back another couple months to July, which would push Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. But then you still you could move Shang-Chi back to September and then you would still have Eternals just stay where it's at in November. And then you have Spider-Man 3 coming up in December, which is a lot of Marvel movies in a relatively short amount of time. But the audience appetite could be you know, significant enough that they would that all of those movies would still do fine. So if it's another couple of months for delaying Black Widow and, and that delay would actually make a significant difference, like if you knew that the market landscape was going to be wildly different in July compared to May because of vac the timing with vaccine rollout and, and everything like that. If you feel like it makes enough of a difference, then a another small delay for Black Widow might make sense. But if Disney looks at that situation as they get closer to that May 7th release date and they say, we could delay this for another couple months, but it, we don't think it would actually make a difference, then I think they go the premiere access and theater route and I think they should do that because the another thing that's happening here, part of the reason these delays have been fine for Marvel and, and Disney is because they didn't have the inventory. Production was shut down. So they might as well delay this because they have nothing else to put out in the windows that initially they were going to release a lot of these movies and series because they couldn't keep making them for a while. Well, production's been back up and running for a few months now, and we haven't seen Marvel Studios projects getting shut down once they've gone back into production because of the COVID safety protocols that they have. So now they have inventory starting to pile up. And you can't just have inventory piling up forever. At some point, you got to start putting the stuff out. And, and so I don't think they could just continue to delay and delay and delay because the more they delay anyway, theaters just aren't going to survive indefinite delays to all of these movies anyway. At some point, you have to make the decision that we need to go ahead. We need to release these movies. And if we want to go ahead and try and give theaters something, which I think, you know, AT&T, by the way, is not being given enough credit for doing that, that movies are still allowed to play in theaters and, and people will have the choice to go to theaters if they want to and they feel safe for whatever reason, that option will still be there for them. And same thing for Disney with Black Widow. For people who want to go to the theater and feel safe doing so, they can do that on May 7th. But for those who don't want to go, or can't go because in their market theaters are still closed, here's the Disney Plus option for Premier Access. So I still think that Black Widow will be similar to Raya and the Last Dragon, Premier Access in theaters at the same time on May 7th. The only caveat with that for me is that if the situation involves it and takes such a path that it really becomes clear that the situation will be vastly different in July compared to May, then yes, another slight delay uh, is very, very possible. But I don't know that July makes that much of a difference compared to May 7th, at which point, if you're Disney, you just got to start putting stuff out. And so Black Widow with premiere access in theaters at the same time, I, I think is still a very likely possibility. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that the Premier Access is going to be probably where it can, where it ends up going. But again, if it goes out in theaters, then that's a great sign, I think, for theaters in general, like a Wonder Woman 84, at least at this point in in the world at, at, at large. Because if we're getting it in theaters and they are still <laughs> afloat in some ways in six months, then I think that's a good sign. I think it's a good sign that, you know, we're, we're not quite there, but we're almost there. And that potentially with uh, the Eternals and, and Shang-Chi afterwards, they're probably going to be, you know, maybe not have premiere access at that point. Who knows? Um, right. I, th- I think that's where you don't. To me, if it, if it doesn't get a theatrical release at all. That is a very telling sign, obviously. And, and and again, it could happen. And I think that that's the kind of thing right now that I'm kind of struggling with, Sean, is that, and again, I don't remember if we were doing this off air or on air, so forgive me. You can just shut me up right now if, I, if, I'm, if I'm speaking out of turn here. But if I think we talked about, you know, where potential ideas for, you know, theaters, but the rumors are that, you know, the studios will be buying theaters and that they would have exclusive, you know, exclusive exclusivity to their movies into those specific theaters kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And Disney buying their own theaters and having that. And we talked about the idea of having these Disney plus shows premiering there at these theaters right. or at least showing them like, again, I'm not sure if we did this off air or what, but that to I me think we've talked where, about some of it, a lot of it off air and some of it on air. I, I don't remember what's what, but yeah, but yeah, yeah it all bleeds, it all bleeds together. It does. <laughs> we, the truth is, the point is we talked about it. So, yeah. and I think, and this is where I've kind of think that this is where, you know, de- again, depending on where the movie theaters are at this point, because I don't think Disney necessarily necessarily wants things to change that way. But I think they're prepared to make it that way because the movie model, I think, is still because and, and I again, I talked to some two friends yesterday who are not who are are big Star Wars fans and they're big Mar- and they're, they love the MCU films and they like Disney Plus, but they don't they don't love Disney Plus. And again, they're, they're, they're not like the, the the model that Disney is going after necessarily, but um, whatever. So the point is that they kind of said, yeah, if this, if the Mandalorian or whatever was playing at a theater and I could sit and watch the whole season, cause it's only three hours, you know, or a little over three hours. That's a, that's a Lord of the Rings movie. He said, and I'm like, exactly. That's a Lord of the Rings movie to sit down, watch it all the way through in a big giant theater. And, uh, my other friend said, you know, he goes, yeah, I basically, uh, you know, he's like the most probably, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, so he's not, he's not a very social person. He's not interactions on his thing, but he likes to be, he likes to go to crowds. You know, he like, you know, he likes that kind of, he likes that kind of atmosphere, experiencing things with a crowd that we all can relate to like watching Endgame and things like that. And he said, yeah, I'd like to have that chance to watch it for the first time, potentially at a theater with a crowd with people, you know? And I think that that's kind of where, you know, I, I think we're potentially or I think movie theaters will be more so going than they are just in you know, these independent things or, or independent theaters of companies saying we'll distribute your movies for you, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be probably more studio based or a studio will own those uh, whatever corporation that, that that theater distribution is. And then they will distribute only those movies or whatever. And it feels like that that have that potential to have Disney Plus and watch it on this big screen and have that option. And then and again, I don't think it, I think the days of having 16 movie theater uh, screens on something is over. I, I think it's going to be and we talked about again, maybe on the show. I don't remember. 
it's going to be limited screens, but more people are going to want to go there more often. So instead of having just a bunch of empty theaters, uh, you know, whatever empty theaters for which are movies that during the day that no one goes to, there's going to be a lot more limitations of like, oh, I want to go to that, and there's they're going to be more full. Is there, is it be more exclusive uh, exclusiveness to go into a theater to where it actually means something, whereas before it's like, oh, I can just wait till the eight o'clock and I'll you know or whatever I'll go to the right. smaller. Screen whatever that those days I think are going to be over and it's going to become more of a, an exclusive thing. Like, Oh yeah, we, we finally got in. We it took us a while or whatever. Cause that's what, that's what it was like back in the day. It was a big deal to go wait in a line. You had to wait in a line. Remember it, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. So, you know, to me, there's that is where I think theaters will be going. And I think that the chances to see these Marvel films and these Marvel TV series, uh, on this from Disney plus, on the big screen, those options are going to be there because of that exclusive uh, exclusiveness from having these independent uh, theaters being owned by the, these big corporations again. Now, I, I don't know. This is all my own speculation, but I feel like that's where it's going to go because I think, again, I, I'm going back from the Mandalorian because we just wrapped up. I would kill to see this whole season in Mandalorian. I'd spend my whole afternoon. I'd beg Morgan to let me go do it, but <laughs> I would, but seriously, I would. Yeah. I, and I, this is something that I like. I, again, I have, a, I have a daughter now, and like I, me being gone for four hours is a big deal. She'd be like, "Uh, uh-uh, that's not gonna happen." I mean, I'd beg her for me for me to do that. And I would I would throw down, even though I have it in my room. I could watch it all day with her. I'd be like, "No, I gotta see it in a the theater, the giant screen, the best quality, whatever." And then you know, throw down twenty, thirty bucks to do it. I would, and I know I'm not alone. So. I know there's a market for it. And if there's a market for it, Disney's going to exploit it. There's like any good corporation and, you know, enjoying their commerce is going to do. So to me, there, there's still a future here, but what it exactly is, it's so hard to tell. But I, and that's why I go back to black widow. This is where it's going to be telling us where it's going to be. I think where this goes is where I think the future of mainstream popcorn uh, fun movies like black widow star wars whatever that's where the that's where they're headed is essentially what, what happens with black widow maybe not completely but i think a good indication of where it's going yeah i think so too i mean but although it's tough to because of disney continuing to say no one size fits all maybe that that's they're already telling us not to read too much into any one decision that they make and so you know i i suppose we can go ahead and we can take their advice on that but I think that with where things are going, I mean, to talk about the idea of studios owning theaters, that was a thing that wasn't really outside of small little one-offs here and there, like Disney owning El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. Studios couldn't own a movie theater chain, um, but the Paramount decrees either are going or have gone away. So studios are going to have an option to own their own theater chains if they want to. I don't know that everybody's going to want to do that, but I do feel like Disney is the most well-equipped to go ahead and do that because, I mean, Disney knows how to create events. They know how to create environments that consumers want to go to. I mean, I think the biggest problem with it now is for Disney to not just go ahead and immediately do this is because they're already having enough trouble with their theme parks being closed or having to operate at limited capacity. So right now, at this particular moment in time, Disney probably isn't that interested in owning a bunch of places where consumers can't go um, or won't go. I think that if you're Disney going forward, though, and you're looking at if we can get back to something that resembled normal before the pandemic, then it might make sense for Disney to own theaters or at least have a joint venture with another company 
to go ahead and, and have something with theaters. I mean, the idea of a movie theater that is a theater slash Disney store um, se- certainly seems like it makes a lot of sense. And not that they would have those everywhere, um, but in the major markets, that seems like the kind of thing where it'd be very easy to see Disney doing something like that in the maybe not in the short term, but in the mid to long term seems like something that would be a possibility. The main point that I would say is whether studios own theaters or not, I don't think movie theaters are going to go away. And I think that continues to be part of what bogs down these conversations as people talk about it. It's it's streaming or theaters. And I don't really think it comes down to that sort of equation where one means the other doesn't get to exist. I think what is going away is the idea of movie theaters being without question the dominant way that everyone goes and experiences movies. I, I think that it was already going away and it's just been accelerated by everything we've had with this pandemic. But I still think there's a place for movie theaters, but it's kind of like what you were talking about, that going to the theater is more, more of an event. And as I was talking about it uh, several minutes ago, the idea that it's just a higher bar for people to go out to the theater. And we've all that's something we've already been seeing. The idea, like the phrase theater worthy has been a thing for a few years now. Ever since streaming and the ease of watching of watching movies at home, whether that was by renting them or just watching them on Netflix or Amazon or wherever they ended up, was people feeling like there are certain movies that I need to go see in the theater because I have to see them immediately for spoiler reasons or anticipation reasons, whatever. And then also the size and scale of the story. This is something that really fills up that big screen, especially if we're talking about Dolby Cinema or IMAX. This is something that's really filling up this oversized screen this is what I want to go to the theater for. Other things, I don't really feel like I have to go to the theater immediately to go out and see that. I can catch up with it later, and I don't really mind seeing it on a smaller screen. We've already seen that sort of talk track and that logic being used by consumers, and now it's just going to be used even more. And we're going to see that standard of what's theater-worthy, quote-unquote, just gets higher. The good news is, for Marvel, is that if anything is theater-worthy in the eyes of consumers, it's Marvel movies. And we've seen that because even as we've seen this trend of other types of movies struggling to perform consistently at the box office, we have not seen that for superhero movies, especially Marvel Studios movies. So I think what in whatever form movie theaters uh, take going forward, Marvel Studios is still built for that. And Marvel Studios movies can still succeed in whatever market the movie, you know, the theater going industry eventually evolves into. And so it may be a thing where it's not as easy. There's not as many theaters to go to. There's not as many show times as there used to be. But like you said, Paul, it's going to be more about how do we pack a house? Well, we can't pack a house if we offer, if there's a million theater or not a million, but you know, hundreds of theaters in the same market and they all have several screens that are playing all these different showtimes that are overlapping like every 30 minutes to, you know, see the, the latest Marvel movie. Yeah, maybe that part of it goes away, but the opportunity to see it on the big screen is still there for the people who really value that experience. Because what we're really talking about with movie theaters with day and date digital versus, you know, theatrical exclusivity, it's just that part of it, the exclusivity. Because if you're talking about the magic of the theatrical experience, which is certainly something that I buy into and I love going to movie theaters and I love going to premium theatrical experiences like Dolby Cinema and IMAX, I see every Marvel movie in each of those formats multiple times 
And so I definitely value that uh, very, very, very much. And I will still, I, I really want to be able to get back to that. But not everybody feels that, not everybody feels that same way. So I, I think what we're looking at going forward as this continues to take shape is, yeah, some people will probably be more comfortable with the streaming option than the theater option, but the theater option will still be there. And so as somebody mm -hmm. who buys into that idea of the experience, I think there are enough people who value the experience in order to keep movie theaters going, even if it is a smaller business overall across this country, across the world, that might happen, but I don't think it completely goes away. Obviously, the exclu losing exclusivity would impact movie theaters, but if the, if the entire industry depends solely on exclusivity, then the experience can't be worth that much, or at least it's not worth that much to enough people. And I think that's kind of what the fear is with a lot of this, is that of movie theaters going away, is a lot of people who love theaters like I do, having that fear that not enough of our fellow consumers, if given a choice between watching a movie at home versus watching a movie in a theater, not enough people are going to agree that the experience is worth the effort of going and the additional money to go mm -hmm. out to the theater. Um, and that part's true. Not enough people would feel that way in order for theaters to exist in their, in their current state. But there will be enough for there to be a theatrical market. It just won't be the same as it's always been. But for those who value the, ex the experience, you might end up finding yourself getting something that leans more into that experience and making it an even bigger and better experience uh, than it has been in the past. Maybe not across the board for every film, obviously, um, but certainly for the ones that you know we're massive fans of in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's all going to be very fascinating to see how this unfolds. Um, but I think from Disney's perspective, it's them being so nimble with all of this and not having a one-size-fits-all solution to this is really more of a, a reflection of the current state of things, which is we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the market's going to evolve. We don't know how consumers are going to respond in a post COVID-19 vaccine world. We don't know what that is just yet. And for Disney, they have to have the ability to be flexible and go with whatever's going to be the best strategy at a given time. And it may not be with a ton of advanced warning. Right now, they'll they'll look at the idea of Black Widow being exclusive to theaters, but that idea could very, uh, could very well change over the next few months if they start to see that, look, nothing's really going to change. Not enough is going to change between now and May 7th, and not enough will change even if May 7th turns into July 9th. So let's just go ahead and let's go with Premier Access and theaters at the same time for Black Widow. And if they don't make it a one-size-fits-all approach, then they might have the ability to avoid that issue we talked about earlier of once you do this, uh, once you start doing this, you always have to do it. Maybe not if Black Widow really becomes a one-off or even 2021 is more of a one-off for some of these movies because they're not just announcing it for an entire slate all at once. It's just we will keep doing this for as long as we have to, for as long as it's the strategy that makes the most sense. But the moment it doesn't, because audiences are ready to go back to theaters, then we will go back to some sort of exclusive theatrical window. What I do think, however, is that whatever the if there is an exclusive theatrical window going forward, um, it's never going to be as long as it used to be. I think the days, I think the 90-day theatrical window is history. Um, I think it's going to be much shorter because really it's going to be there to service the the audience that has the biggest, most urgent demand for movies and theaters. So you go see it exclusively in theaters right away. And then not long after that, premiere access on Disney Plus. And then you go through the other stuff, Blu-ray, digital release, whatever else to other platforms outside of Disney's own streaming platform. So 
we're going to see a lot of things unfold. A lot of things continue to evolve. But um, even though we didn't get Premiere Access announcements for anything beyond Raya and the Last Dragon on Disney+, Plus, uh, that's far from the end of the story. And, and those possibility that possibility remains firmly on the table for Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Um, and even and maybe not to the same extent because they're later on in the year, uh, but it's still on the table for things like Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, as well as uh, uh, the uh, as well as Eternals. Obviously, Spider Man Three is a different thing because it's not a Disney has a thirty percent stake in it, but they don't have they don't have the majority stake in that, so they don't get to decide what happens with Spider Man Three with streaming versus you know they're not even guaranteed to have the movie on Disney Plus unless they pre licensed it from Sony. Uh, so Spider Man Three is in a different situation, but. All the Disney distributed Marvel films, I think Premiere Access is something that could happen, but it may not necessarily be the one thing that always happens. I I would also add one last thing, though, about Premiere Access that would make it probably more successful on a movie like Raya and the Last Dragon and then Black Widow compared to something like Mulan, especially in the case of Black Widow. I think there's just more general interest in Black Widow than there was in Mulan. There's more urgency with Black Widow than Mulan because it's played as a chapter of the MCU. There's all of that, but I, I think another... You know, an, another important thing here is is that idea of premiere access in theaters at the same time because it changes the conversation. Because there were people complaining about the twenty nine ninety nine price of Mulan, and but that I, I think a lot of those complaints beca- came from the comparison being only hypothetical. Well, it's thirty bucks on Disney Plus instead of what you would pay in a theater. Well, now the price comparison is direct. It's thirty bucks for Black Widow. Or however much you know you have to spend if you want to go see the movie in theater, uh, in theater. So that way, if you're talking about a family, it is a direct comparison of thirty bucks to watch this movie right now at home versus you know fifty, sixty bucks, or a hundred bucks depending on the size of the family for us to all pile into the car and go see this movie. Um, mm-hmm. So you know that's where I think Premier Access could be more successful when it is happening at the same time as a theatrical release compared to happening in lieu of a theatrical release but it's going to be really interesting to see how this all pans out yeah i think that's i think i think as i said you said it great right there sean the fact that this is going to be um it's this could maybe benefit benefit a lot of different people in different ways and it's going to be very telling and very fascinating so yeah but and, yes. Yeah. And and by the way, if it if it all comes down to, you know, consumers just getting a choice, theaters versus Disney Plus, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with yeah. giving people a choice for the experience that they want to have uh that makes them feel more comfortable, safe, whatever it is, for whatever reason for consumers to have a choice to make their decision of how they want to watch the next Marvel movie. I don't I really don't think that's a bad idea to begin with. So yeah. Yeah, that I mean, we didn't really talk much about the 2021 slate uh, beyond Shang-Chi and, and the Eternals. Uh, I mean, we mainly focused on Black Widow, but a lot of the same stuff applies to those movies. Um, and we didn't really learn that much more uh, about those films other than, I mean, they confirmed that Michelle Yeoh uh, is part of the cast for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, which is awesome because I, I know that she was Oleta Ogord in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with the original Ravagers. So it's another case of somebody you know, playing a different character in the MCU. Um, but I think she's certainly going to go on and have uh, a more meaningful role in uh, in this film compared... Not that, you know, she wasn't cool as a Leto Gordon Guardians Galaxy Volume 2. It does make me wonder, though, if Michelle Yeoh is now playing another character. I mean, we've seen, we've seen actors go from playing one character to another in the MCU. Gemma Chan went from Minerva and Captain Marvel. She's going to be Cersei in Eternals. Uh, but what we haven't seen is a character go back to it. And I know there's been a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of conversation or speculation that maybe we would see those original Ravagers again, but I don't know if we'll see Michelle Yeoh go from playing one character in Guardians to another character in Shang-Chi back to another character in something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, but before we move on to Spider-Man 3, I was wondering if you had any any thoughts on that, Paul. Well, I think that there's uh, it's exciting when when people get more work and and obviously they are they're 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 talented enough to where they they extend their the character the, the character they play, and uh, that's really exciting. As far as the movies themselves, um, I'm really excited about Ching Chi. Still, uh, I I am itching to just dive in more deeper uh, a lot deeper. Excuse me, better English there uh, into the character uh, in the comic books. To be quite honest, more I think when the movie gets closer to actually happening, whether it be whatever way it's released and. I think that's going to be a very uh, interesting uh, lore building uh, series or movie, excuse me. And I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, again, I'm anticipating the Mandarin, the 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 six sixteen closer to that version character showing up in mm-hmm. this movie, and also tying into uh, Iron Man three. Again, I love lore building. That's one of my things I love about a shared universe or whatever is because of how things connect. And I know a lot of people don't want all things to connect all the time but to me when it's done correctly these connections are just only enhanced and the, and the shared universes are are a big reason why or they show why they can be so successful so for me i love the lord building that i think shang chi can give us um the eternals now it's funny with the eternals it's something that i i've always been very hesitant about and even though it is still a lore building a very huge lore building kind of uh, aspect i think the characters themselves are for the most part they don't really interest me um besides black knight and circe because and it's only because i know them a lot better than anybody else and i'm very intrigued where they kind of fall in line with this uh with the series and, and the mcu and given their ties to the avengers in general so there's a I, I, yeah the eternals is still the one where i'm just kind of like you really, I don't really know where to go with this one. And, and whereas a Shane Chi, I feel like it's, it's going to be a lot more of a, I love the, the, the martial arts aspect of, and seeing that in the MCU and that I'm really excited about. We haven't really seen that necessarily. And so there's a lot of, I think more interesting things for me personally in Shane Chi, but internals. And as far as the release dates, you know, I, yeah, this is going to be it's going to be a very interesting movie. I, I think in my mind, I think just given even with the uh, no matter what the the theater landscape is or what the you know, if it's, you know, 90 days of this or whatever, it's DC or DC, excuse me, Disney Plus exclusive, whatever. I think that Shang-Chi is going I'm curious the reaction by the mainstream audience to Shang-Chi to a Eternals movie because of just just kind of the different, you know, ideas and, and characters and whatnot. So and again, Eternals is a team kind of an ensemble piece, whereas Shang-Chi is, you know, a very one, you know, one main character kind of a movie. So I'll be very interested to see where the where these new characters, what what type hits with an audience more? An ensemble piece or something like Shang-Chi. So it's uh, the fact that I believe Shane Chi is first, um, potentially first, correct? Um, so I would say that that one's probably, uh, I just, I would assume that would be the more successful one. But yeah, it'd be very, it's going to be very interesting what, what the landscape is of where these, where they're distributed and where and how they connect to an audience. So very, very fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly as as we talked about, you know, a lot of the same questions about Black Widow, I think, apply to Marvel Studios movies in general going forward and all movies really going forward. But with what we got for from Shang-Chi as announced by Kevin Feige, I mean, a ca- the cast, a lot of it was kind of overlap based on, you know, things we had already seen. But it was still great. I mean, to get, you know, Michelle Yeoh is playing Jiang Nan. And I'm not sure if that, I honestly don't know if that is the name of a character from the comics or not. Um, uh, And then you have Aquafina as Katie. That just, I mean, she's talking about as a friend of Shang-Chi. I almost wonder if that name's a placeholder for another character. Mm. Um, Tony Lung, as we know, is already Wenwu, the the real Mandarin. You get uh, Florian uh, Montano, who I think is a boxer or something like that, is playing Razor Fist. So I think that's more of a muscle villain uh, for Shang-Chi <laughs> to go up against. Um, but either way, I mean, I, I think this cast looks great. And, and I just continue to be a big fan of Simu Lu. If you haven't watched Kim's Convenience, uh, then you might want to check that out, especially if you've been watching and enjoying The Mandalorian Season 2. Another reason to check out Kim's Convenience. Um, but then Destin Daniel Cretton, who I'm a big fan of as a director, uh, still can't forget him as being you know, the one helming this particular film. Uh, I have uh, I'm very excited about this. I mean, the Marvel Studios slate across the board, I just think it has so much depth and just a wealth of talent coming into all of these projects. And so, you know, as far as those questions of, you know, this is a new these are newer characters. Audiences don't know them as well. Well, that's been true of the MCU pretty much from the jump. And as they've continued to go through uh, all of these characters and, and just go deeper and deeper into this mythology they've been able to tell stories that allow that give audiences the opportunity time and again to connect with these extraordinary characters. And I don't really expect anything to change uh, with this 2021 slate. And, uh, you know, with, and then, you know, going from Shang-Chi in, in July to Eternals as things currently stand, you know, with that film in November, we've talked a lot about the just unbelievable cast that they have with that film. Chloe Zhao, who I just continue to think is, the best Marvel director hire since Ryan Coogler. I mean, every, I haven't seen her latest film, Nomad, uh, Nomad Land yet, but it's getting a ton of praise on the festival circuit, thought of as a best picture favorite for the Oscars. I can't wait to see that movie whenever I get a chance to see it. Uh, I loved her film, The Writer. As I said, wealth of talent, just an embarrassment of riches for Marvel Studios and the people that are involved in uh, in these projects. And so for all the excitement that there is on the Disney Plus side of things for Marvel. Um, and these movies may ultimately prove to be part of the Disney Plus side, just like the series are. Uh, but these movies are going to be pretty incredible. Um, and I, I just think, you know, 2021, at, at least from a Marvel fan perspective, is going to go a long way to compensate for everything that we've missed and not having MCU stories told in uh, in 2020. But the year will end, the Marvel Studios year will end uh, in association with Sony Pictures on December 17th of 2021, at least as far as current release dates and and calendars are concerned, with this third Marvel Studios Spider-Man film, which does not have an official title, so we're still calling it Spider-Man 3, even though we had one of those in 2007. But we might as well call it Spider-Man 3 like we had in 2007, because it's got characters and actors from the original uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So the biggest name that's out there, I mean, since we last talked about it, we last talked about this on the podcast a couple of months ago when we found out Jamie Foxx was playing Electro in this film. 
Well, over the last few weeks, you know, leading into Disney Investor Day, and this is not Disney Investor Day news because they didn't talk about this film at all during Disney Investor Day, um, but we have seen other developments in this series with The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, they've announced or they have reported that Alfred Molina is going to be back as Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus. He's going to be, he played that role, of course, famously in Spider-Man 2 in 2004. He is back reprising that role in this third Spider-Man film. And there have been other reports from Collider, as well as plenty of rumors, that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire will be back. They, of course, each played Spider-Man in their own series of films. Uh, Maguire, of course, in the Sam Raimi trilogy. They're going to be back playing these characters. And other rumors as well. And these are more in the rumor category, so we'll see. I mean, we've seen rumors about Willem Dafoe playing, being back as Green Goblin in this film. Maybe Charlie Cox is going to be Daredevil in this film. So, and, and of course, we've had trade reports on Doctor Strange uh, being in this film, Benedict Cumberbatch. So that all seems like it's pretty much locked in and, and done deal. That stuff is happening. And the Alfred Molina report is also coming from the trade. So a lot of this stuff seems uh, pretty spot on. I, I think the Willem Dafoe stuff and the, you know, Charlie Cox stuff is still maybe more in the, the that's probably more in the maybe category and the we'll see category for Spider-Man 3. But just going off of what's being reported in the trades, um. I'll be honest, Paul, like, I don't actually know how I feel about this. And, and I know this is like mm. the, the big shock for me as like the most pro MCU guy there is, um, or certainly sure. tied for tied for first with a bunch of other people, probably. Um, this is, I, I have to say, a lot of what we're hearing about Spider-Man 3 is kind of pushing my limits of, you know, the trust that I've, you know, developed in Marvel Studios over the years. But uh, as our resident uh, Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man emphasis in your Marvel zombie degree, uh, I'm really curious how you feel about a lot of these developments yeah. over the past few weeks. It's hard to keep up with. I talked a little bit about it on the, uh, the Spidey Experience uh, podcast because they're all kind of all over the place. They're very, though a lot. some of those people I, I share uh, a show with are kind of a, uh, not exactly pro uh, MCU Spider-Man, but that's a whole different story. Um, but and a lot of them are, are kind of thinking that this is it might be too much, and that Sony's kind of making a mistake. That there's they're taking the the wrong approach to the Spider Verse. And I I've said it on this show or that show, and I'm going to say it on this show. I think it is a great idea to go down the Spider Verse aspect because you have the good uh, connection with. Disney right now that you can use and integrate yourself with the MCU with your other films that you've already, you know, have established before and kind of marry those two ideas together at this point. And you already have the mainstream audience kind of understanding that, Hey, there's different dimensions, especially with Spider-Man. There was a whole movie about it. And even though it wasn't a critical or excuse me, we're backwards, a commercial success necessarily, it was a giant critical, critical success and is a huge and people, they know the film and they and they love it. And like I think people it's done a great thing for so many different aspects of Spider-Man. But I think just honestly, the Marvel side, even more so the idea that there is a Marvel multiverse and that it's not just DC, that Spider-Man has that as well. And people have kind of accepted that. And the reason why I think this is all a, a great thing to go down and marry these two things together is because we've already gotten so many of the same kind of Spider-Man movies 
before. We've got the same Spider-Man. Uh, we have the traditional Spider-Man ideas uh, from Rami's films. We have a little more of the quote-unquote modernizing of Spider-Man, if you will, of trying to make Peter Parker more cool and hip. He just Peter Parker listens to Coldplay and rides a skateboard, and uh, you know uh, those kinds of things from uh, the, the Mark Webb films. And and there are things in, the, in those Mark Webb films that I think are very good. There are also things that are very bad. Just like in Sam Raimi's films are not always perfect, in my opinion. That being said, that I, in my opinion, that this whole Spider-Verse thing and integrating the different films together is a, a good way to take the character at this point because we've already gotten so many different kinds of films or the same kind of ideas from Spider-Man. Now, after this movie, it could be the palate cleanser that we need to get back to the more back-to-basics route of just Spider-Man being kind of the lone hero or whatever. And and if you like that, or if you don't like that, and you like him connecting with people in a greater Marvel universe, you know, I don't know. But either way, I think this is a great way of telling a different kind of Spider-Man story. Because again, we don't we've already had so many different Spider-Man stories. And I think it's having him in this greater Marvel universe and in the Sony verse or whatever verse you want to put him into. It's only going to make the character more interesting and make the mar- the movie more marketable because you don't want to watch the same movie over and over and over again. And it's a it recycled movie. You know, I, we all know um, that, like, you know, when movies get put out, they recycle a lot of the same ideas and themes and stories. That's not the problem. It's the, it's how you package that story, right? It's, it very much is how you, how you do it. Like, like star Wars is a very classic retelling of other, all these different, you know, different things and whatever. And superhero films are no different. And, and with Spider-Man, again, you can tell, you can tell the tale of Spider-Man, but it has to be the right time, the right kind of mood and story. And as of right now, I don't think it's, bringing Spider-Man back to a, ba- a bare bones approach is not the right, right thing to do. I think going down a more zany approach and, and having the actors uh, re uh, go back to their, their, their original Spider-Man roles, whether it be Dr. Octopus, Jamie Kennedy, Electro or whatever, it, it's the right time. They're, they're the right ages. You know, they won't, you won't have, we won't be able to do this again necessarily in a couple of years. So let's do it now. Let's have fun with it because this is, Pretty much, I don't want to say once in a lifetime kind of thing, but it kind of feels like that. Like, this is a good time to kind of go a little bit crazy and a little zany. And yes, Sony does not have a good track record when it comes to doing kind of crazy things because they give us, it's all over the place. And we've all seen that. And I think that that's, that worrying about what they consider quality and, 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 and being organized is definitely a concern. Kevin Feige being involved, I think you should feel rest assured that it should be somewhat organized and not completely out of control. I mean, we, there's, we've heard literally every rumor known to man for this movie, it seems like, with mm-hmm. Charlie Cox to Kingpin to whatever. But here's the thing I think that you have to, let's look at what's strictly what's been announced and confirmed. We have Alfred Molina, Basically, Jamie Kennedy uh, or Jamie Kennedy, uh, Jamie Fox. I don't say Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Fox is confirmed. You know, he's walked back from that. Whatever. Let's assume that he's in it, and Alfred Molina's in it. The what? And I, th- I think we've talked about it on the show again. I don't remember if it's off air or a different show or whatever. But I think you have to prepare yourself that we may not necessarily get a um, a Spider Verse. But think about it this way: What if we're actually going to get like we already have J. Jonah Jameson? as you know j jonah jameson right or uh, we have um what's his name i forgot his name oh my god jk simmons jk jk simmons as j jonah jameson how do we know 
that Jamie that that the Electro in the uh, the MCU version is not Jamie Kennedy, just a little bit different. Or Jamie and Fox, probably, but yeah, or, yeah Jamie the Kennedy, confusion yeah. between Jamie Kennedy and Jamie Fox is really confusing me. But yeah, I know I don't know why I keep saying Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Fox and Alfred Molina are those they're the same people in the six or the MCU versions, and that they'll be the same you know or characters or whatever you know just like J uh, J Jonah Jameson and J K Simmons. So that's what I'm kind of wondering they might be leaning on. And I, and and that would be kind of fun to do that and maybe incorporate a little bit of the, the Spider-Verse uh, universe into there and maybe in whatever. I think there's potential that, that I think that very much is a potential way to go, to go down that road. And um, if they do that, I think there would be a lot of fun, a lot of winking and, 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 and uh, you know, at the audience a little bit. And I don't, I don't think that's bad winking in my opinion. So but if they go full route and integrate, you know, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and they all team up and if done well, this could be a really crazy, fun, exciting Spider-Man story that we only get once um, in a while and a live action anyway. So I think that if that's where they're going to go with it, then let's embrace it because it's not going to happen very often. So don't go. Don't worry if you're worried that this is going to be the same kind of Spider-Man you know, we're going to keep getting zany multiverse Spider-Man stories. I don't think it's going to go down. This is the the way they'll go down forever. It's just, it, this is a one-time kind of story that you can tell in a unique opportunity. So that's where I'm going with it. Or you have the idea where I said you have Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina. They're just playing their characters in the MCU as the, as Doc Ock and Electro and then go, go forward from there. So there's a lot of potential there, but who knows? I, I could go either way, to be honest. Yeah, I was initially leaning toward the idea that Jamie Foxx was not going to be the same Electro for a couple of reasons. One is he said, and I think it was a post that he ended up deleting soon after, that he wasn't going to be blue this time. So I thought, okay, well, if he's not if he's not blue, then he's not that Electro. He's a different Electro. And then also just the idea that Amazing Spider-Man 2 was so bad. But the one thing that Kevin Feige liked about it, it was Electro. And so, okay, he wants to do his own version of Jamie Foxx Electro in, in the MCU. Totally makes sense. Um, and so it would be a different version, not necessarily connected to what happened in the Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield series. But now when we look at this idea of Alfred Molina coming back as Dr. Octopus and Andrew Garfield being Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, if you're having the Spider-Men from those realities, then it just stands to reason that, yeah, it would be their version of those villains. I don't think you would mix up those rules, although I suppose you could. But I lean toward the idea that, yeah, this is just, I guess, an evolution of Electro. That's the reason why he's not blue anymore. It's not because he's a different version of the character. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, you could see a, you could easily see a joke there, which, you know, you would actually have to write, not just be me throwing out the for instance of Andrew Garfield Spider-Man telling, you know, Tom Holland Spider-Man, like in my universe, this guy was blue. So he could be a different version of it. And that could be part of, you know, setting up a little bit in the film. Um, but I, I feel like Alfred Molina probably would be the same version of Dr. Octopus. I wouldn't necessarily count on him being a brand new version of the character. Um, that's probably a little bit of my disappointment, though, is whether it's Alfred Molina playing an, a different Doc Ock or the same. I just wanted a much more different Dr. Octopus in the MCU. I, I was kind of hoping that if we got that character with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, that it would be a brand new version of that character. Cause I'm one of the few people in the world who doesn't love Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus. It's not his performance. It's the overall characterization, which I found to be too sympathetic 
And I'll never like the idea that he's being controlled by his robot arms. Uh, so that's the, those are creative decisions I'll just never agree with. But maybe they'll find a way to make that stuff make sense and be better. Uh, I know Spider-Man 2 is widely held as one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. And I agree with that assessment, although one of the greatest if we're talking about like the top 25, not if we're talking about like the top 10 anymore. But um, anyway, I understand the reverence and respect for that film. And obviously those movies mean a lot to Kevin Feige. He was a part of those movies, especially the first two uh, as a co-producer on those films. So I understand his history with that franchise uh, and not wanting to just and he's been a part of it, even though. His role was not as significant in like the Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield movies. He's always been there, you know, giving notes on these films and giving feedback. So, I mean, he's been involved with the Spider-Man series the entire time. So mixing that up with the MCU, I could see the appeal of that for him. And I don't think this is all being driven by Sony. That's one concern I don't really have is I, I don't think that Sony has just taken over and Marvel Studios is just along for the ride, because if that were true, I don't think Marvel Studios would be participating. I don't think Marvel Studios would offer up a character like Doctor Strange to this movie unless Marvel was on board with it. And let's go back to what Kevin Feige said when this deal was announced after, you know, it looked like Spider-Man was going to go away from the MCU and then they brought it back. Uh, Kevin Feige talked about how they how Spider-Man was the one character who had the ability to, you know, travel between different cinematic universes. So this is Kevin Feige, I mean, already saying more than he normally says, even as vague as it was, it's still more than he would normally give away. And it seemed like there was a reason for that and an excitement on his part for that. This possibility of of a multiverse, you know, type of Spider-Man movie. So I get it. I get where it's coming from. And I and I don't think that Marvel Studios is being dragged into this. I think they are they are just as excited about this as Sony is. And so I feel like there's a lot of, you know, I feel like there is people are doing this for the right creative reasons and that they I think they are genuinely inspired to do it. At the same time, and I know I'm undercutting what I just said, I am a little worried that maybe part of that genuine inspiration for this is still a little too reactive. Because this just doesn't feel like where things were heading after Spider-Man Far From Home. It just doesn't feel like that. It felt like thematically where we were headed was, you know, we knew plot-wise where we were headed. Uh, Peter Parker has been outed as Spider-Man. And, you know, now he's going to have to defend himself because he's not just his identity, but now he's wanted for, you know, potentially wanted anyway. He's been accused of murder and terrorism. So, yeah, those are issues that Peter Parker has to deal with. But bigger than that, just that theme of, you know, it was all about, you know, of course you had the mentorship with Tony Stark in the first film, and then it's Peter Parker competing with the legacy of Tony Stark and Iron Man in Far From Home and graduating to this idea of just being himself and being his own hero. And so I kind of thought that's where we, what we were headed towards um, with, you know, something that was just very focused on Tom Holland's Peter Parker in the sequel, in the next movie after Spider-Man Far From Home. That's where it looked like all of this was heading there, there just wasn't other than, you know, a red herring uh, reference to the multiverse by Mysterio because Quentin Beck was ultimately full of shit. So other than that, you know, uh, lie of the multiverse in Spider-Man Far From Home, we didn't really have the groundwork being laid for the multiverse being in this series this quickly. I mean, it almost feels like if this was Spider-Man 4, I might be more on board with it. I almost I worry that we're moving too fast, and I, I worry that the reason we're moving so fast is because there's just, as I said, reactive. People really love Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, so let's hurry up and do the live-action version of that. 
and I understand the appeal of it. I I can't say it's something I, I don't want. I want it. I just don't know if I want it yet. And it feels like it's rather than coming after a movie that I was really interested in, it feels like it's taking the place of a movie I was really interested in. And I might be wrong about that. Maybe they will still be able to cover thematically some of the ground that it felt like was being set up in Spider-Man Far From Home. And there's a way to do that within this story. But it also feels like there's so many moving parts to this that at some point Tom Holland's Spider-Man gets sacrificed a little bit. Uh, I I don't really know. Um, But I'm hoping that's not the case. And I'm hoping that Marvel Studios, as I said, this pushes the limits of my trust in Marvel Studios, but at the same time, they've historically not been a reactive studio. And so I want to trust that even though it seems like this might be that case, this could be the case, uh, that it's ultimately going to prove not to be, and that they will be able to wrangle all of these things all at once because they are the studio that has you know, been able to be perfectly balanced in, in every way. You know, Before they started writing it in Thanos' dialogue, they've been able to balance this idea of a broader universe as well as you know the core storyline of an individual film of an individual franchise for a character and so i would like to think that that they know how to do this that they know how to and i believe that they can you know and they may prove me wrong a year from now and i hope they they don't prove me wrong but for now even though i have some reservations and even though i have some question marks i i want to try to give them the benefit of the doubt not because they're marvel studios but because they've earned it with their output over the years to say that they will be able to find the balance of making sure that Tom Holland's Peter Parker gets the storyline he deserves coming off of Spider-Man Far From Home and being able to balance that with all these other crazy things that they're clear that they seem to be going for with this multiverse. And and it's also important to note, I mean we we still don't know what this is when we talk about Tobey Maguire being in this movie and we talk about uh, Alfred Molina being in this movie or Andrew Garfield, we don't know how much they're in this movie. Are we building are they do they have full on like supporting character roles in this movie or are we just going to see them briefly as Spider-Man and Doctor Strange tour the multiverse? Like that's a question we still, those are questions we still don't know the answers to yet. So I don't want to, you know, I'm certainly not going to judge any of this in advance. I have no idea exactly how this is coming together. There's a lot of exciting possibilities here, but there's also, you know, a lot of opportunities for things to kind of go astray. Um, But, but Feige and Marvel Studios and company, they've been really good at wrangling this stuff in the past. So you know, I'll, I'll just trust that they'll continue to to be able to do so. But, you know, I, I will be ready to criticize them if this doesn't end up uh, working yeah. out uh, in that's a way great. that uh, in a way that's creatively successful. But for now, um, you know, I can I can give them the benefit to, uh, uh, you know, have that benefit of the doubts that I'm I'm feeling towards this movie at the moment. Yeah, I think it's all fair, all all understandable. Yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it all unfolds. It it. It is crazy enough that I do think, you know, it could be a lot of fun. And there are other things about this that I just to throw out a few positives to this, um, you know, another a few things that this opens the door to. This definitely opens the door for a fast forward button to getting Miles Morales into into the MCU in live action. That could definitely happen as a result of this move, uh, as a result of this movie. Um, as people have talked about, Charlie Cox with Daredevil, as is rumored. It certainly opens the door for other possibilities. Um, so I, I do think there are some there could be some really great creative value in this, but it still has to be the Tom Holland, Peter Parker, the MCU prime uh, storyline. And, and of course, I know this opens up possibilities for the Sony's Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. I don't know how excited I am about that. Let's see what happens with Venom 2 and and uh, and with Morbius. But 
Um, maybe it's a way to to define it in a way that's clearer for audiences of, you know, there are alternate timelines that Tom Holland Spider-Man participates in, but that's not to be confused with the prime MCU. And here's how you can tell the difference. Maybe there's some value in that. I don't know. So a lot of question marks about Spider-Man 3, um, but also plenty of opportunity for this to be really exciting. And if we open up the multiverse to different cinema, previous cinematic iterations of characters, that's something that doesn't even have to apply exclusively to Spider-Man, because obviously that can also be applied to the X-Men, uh, which opens up doors for things like Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier or Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, if they can convince him to uh, reprise that role. But that's an entire diff- entirely different podcast altogether. Uh, this is where yes. we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast, talking about the Marvel Studios theatrical slash maybe premiere access slate uh, for, I wonder if they could convince Sony to do premiere access on Disney Plus, if they could actually, you know, find a way to share the money. That one's probably less likely. But anyway, uh, that's where we'll wrap up this show, talking about the 2021 film slate from Marvel Studios. You can find exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, including Patreon credit scenes, including talking, yeah, yeah, including talking about subjects of some other things we would want on Disney Plus besides Premier Access, besides uh, besides Marvel Studios Legends, which we found out about uh, not long ago, and all these Marvel Studios Disney Plus series. What are, what's some of the other types of content we would want from Marvel Studios on Disney Plus? We talk about that on a Patreon credit scene, and that's just part of the exclusive podcast we have at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. We have exclusive content that's not available anywhere else. We also have a Patreon-exclusive Discord community where we're talking about Marvel and Mandalorian and other fun stuff all the time. And so if you want more information on that, visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at eight. Uh, oh my gosh. At Herman 22, AKA P thug. Also find me on my podcast. The saga continues, uh, the comic binge. And, uh, as of now, as for the time being until I have a have time available, the Spidey dude experience for the Spider-Man podcast. So yeah, check me out on there. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time.